I'm sorry, children, yeah, you can be dismissed if you haven't yet uh, already gone down there. The first Corinthians chapter three. When I graduated from high school, uh, a few of my best friends joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I, I went to Bible college because I knew what the calling the Lord had on my life. And they, some of my best friends joined the Marine Corps. And one of them, uh, when he was finished with boot camp at Camp Pendleton, I went to the airport to pick him up. And this is back in the day when you could go to the gate and wait for them to come off of the runway. And uh, I was standing there in O'Hare Airport in Chicago waiting for my best friend Jose uh, to come back from boot camp. And I saw a guy wearing camo come off of the plane, but it sure didn't look like my best friend until he got close to me. And I realized, holy cow, eight weeks. This guy got changed quick. Wow, he, uh, he slimmed down, he bulked up. And I mean, he carried himself differently. It was so cool. And so we're on driving on the way home, and I'm like, "So Jose, you got to tell me about boot camp." Like, I wanted to hear how the drill instructor got in his face and screamed and yelled at him, and all the mud he had to crawl through, and all the the, the fun stuff that us civilians kind of wonder about. You know, that takes place at uh, at boot camp. And and I was I was so amazed. And I know this is 25 years ago, so you're gonna have to give me some grace a little bit. But I was so amazed that he told me in the first couple of weeks of boot camp, he spent a lot of time in class. And I was like, in class? He's like, yeah, they, they, they taught us all about the history of the Marine Corps. They, they even, and this one stuck out to me, he said they, they even explained, and we had to take tests on the dress blues of the Marines and what the colors meant. And to me... I just thought, how, how strange. Like, you would think, right? You would think that if, um, if somebody was going to go be a, a military soldier for uh, the United States of America, you want to put them through physical training as much as possible, and who cares what they wear and what, you know, just get them going and get them training. And yet, these men and ladies who were in charge of the Marines, at some point they realized that explaining the history and structure of the Marines was vital to training recruits. And, and I said to him, well, wasn't that kind of like, and forgive me for saying this, I don't mean this to be unkind to any Marines, I said, but wasn't that kind of a waste of time? And he said, actually, the first time we put on our dress blues, it was so meaningful because we understood the significance. Oh, you know, there's a lot of things in our life that we just do a certain way because we've always done it that way without really realizing there's, un without really, really understanding why. I remember hearing, maybe it was reading a story, but somehow this lady was, was cooking a pot roast and had her daughter uh, there while she was cooking this pot roast. And, and she said, um, uh, she cut off the ends of the pot roast and put it in the pan. And her daughter said, now, mom, why do you cut off the ends of the pot roast? And she's like, well, that's because of the way my mom always did it. And so she said, well, why? And she said, I actually have no idea. Let's call grandma. So they called grandma to say, hey, grandma, why did you always cut off the ends of the pot roast when you made one? And she said, oh, honey, that was the only way I could fit it into the one roasting pan that I owned. <laughs> so for months now, we've been going through this series of biblical church because I feel like as your pastor, it's, it's important for us to understand why we do the things we do. 
Why do we gather on Sundays? Why do we pray? Why do we baptize? Why do we support missionaries? Why do we disciple one another? And for two weeks, we've asked the question, why do we have spiritual leaders in the church? And I think for some, it may be like, who cares? I mean, like every church, every leadership group or every, every group needs a leader, so we get it, go on. But, but I want to start this morning in 1 Corinthians 3 because the Apostle Paul draws a parallel between spiritual immaturity and a view of church leadership. What we're going to see, I'm going to read the first nine verses, but Paul addresses some contention within the church about its leaders. And we're going to recognize the name Paul because he's that Paul is the apostle. But we're also going to see the name Apollos, who was also a church leader. And to, from what I understand in studying this, apostle of Apollos was someone who could speak in front of crowds and draw great attention. And it doesn't really sound like Paul had that ability. And so it, it almost appears as if the church was choosing favorites in, in, first, in, in Corinthians. So, so 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible says this in, in verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, meaning you aren't spiritual, you are fleshly or worldly. And then he says, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So you understand what Paul's saying so far is like, we see you're acting this way when I want you to act this way. I want to give you meat, but I've got to give you milk and there's jealousy and strife. But what's the jealousy and strife about? Verse four. For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's Building and, and if you were to continue reading, which we're not, and we're going to jump to the end. But but Paul's going to talk about the, uh, the the spiritual foundation of the church and how the church is being built into the temple, both individually as the temple and corporately together as the temple of God. And then he ends the chapter by going back to this almost dispute between leaders. Verse twenty one. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's a name for Peter, Paul or Apollos or Peter, or the word or life or, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And once again, repeating, you don't, don't boast in men. You, have, you are who you are and you have what you have because you are Christ's. And this is our, our third and final Sunday on church leadership, but I want to just briefly review because I know there's always someone who maybe has, has gone and, and, and missed, but we've spent two Sundays here so far. And the first Sunday, we went through 1 Timothy, we went through Titus, we went through 1 Peter, where we find the biblical definitions of church leaders. This is what a church leader should look like. But then we went to Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul speaks to every disciple 
every disciple and says you should be growing in these areas meaning spiritual leaders in the church are simply mature disciples it's all they are and every disciple should be on the path to maturity it's it's easy to assume that these leaders in the an unattainable spiritual level but that is that's just not true every everyone here should be growing to a place where when we read the definitions of a spiritual leader in scripture we should start to see a picture of how we are living the second sunday we looked at two specific positions of leadership in scripture the first one was easy was a deacon deacon means minister or servant but yet in john 13 do you remember we said that Every disciple of Jesus should be a servant. Remember Jesus washed their feet and then said, do thou likewise. So if every servant is meant, if every member of the church, if every disciple, if every Christian is meant to be a servant, why do we have a position called servant? We're all supposed to be servants. We saw that deacons serve the body of Christ by leading and engaging the body of Christ to serve. And I hope you understand this, but deacons are not your personal servants. But there are times when they will personally serve you. But primarily deacons are meant to come to the body of Christ to engage and lead the body in serving one another in the community through the love of Christ. In the second position of church leadership, it wasn't as easy to define as deacon. Deacon has one word, deacon, servant, deacon, minister. But we came to this word that we saw in Acts 20. And Paul calls for the elders of the church and we went through this so if you weren't here forgive me i'm just it's just a review but we went through acts 20 where paul calls the elders of the church knowing i'll never see you again but i want to give you some instructions but if you notice how he instructs them he instructs them as if they are shepherds because he keeps talking about the flock but he doesn't use the word elder and he doesn't use the word shepherd he uses the name overseer and so we have these three names one position and so in scripture whenever you come across the word elder or shepherd or overseer we're looking at the the same thing but but see we have that's like a three in one but but we've seen we've seen god's people led by three three before in in the old testament israel was led by a king a prophet and a priest three different men had to fill those positions because one person couldn't do three until jesus Jesus comes along as the king of kings, the prophet declaring the truth, and the priest who offers the atonement for all the people. But we also see it in the New Testament church, where elder, shepherd, and overseer, and once again, Jesus perfectly fulfills each of these. Elder, head of the church, shepherd, he's the good shepherd, and overseer. In 1 Peter, we see that Jesus is the overseer and shepherd of our soul. So ultimately, ultimately when it comes to us following a leader in the church just like paul said it doesn't matter about man look to jesus so we ultimately look to christ or do we you see i don't know how many of you know this but the average church in america has a congregation under the size of 100 the average church is about 80 Meaning that most churches can only afford to employ one man as their spiritual leader. And what happens in some cases of churches is they forget that that one man is an imperfect human being who cannot be an adequate elder, shepherd, and overseer all at one time. 
And in some cases, there are congregations that get frustrated with that leader because certain expectations are not being met. Or in other cases, there are congregations that begin looking to an excellent leader because certain expectations are exceeded. But in both cases, the church has forgotten who the true leader of the church is, the only three in one. And I'm sure you could agree with me, we've all seen destructiveness come to the church through an imbalance which leaves a church hurt or leaves a man and or his family hurt and often leaves the testimony of Christ hurt in the community. And so this final week, I just want to approach the topic of leadership, church leadership, just a slightly different, but I believe biblically grounded way, asking if Jesus alone is the three-in-one head of the church, what biblical patterns and principles does the word provide to help us, his body, understand how spiritual leaders in the church lead us to serve him in a greater way. So just, just, just a few brief things this morning. First, the call. call. In the Gospels, Jesus selects 12 men, 12 apostles to be with him. We don't have the backstory to all 12, but we do basically know that he uses two words regularly. When Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishing, he said, follow me. When Matthew, the tax collector, was sitting at his table, he said, follow me. And these 12 men went with Jesus Throughout his ministry, and they were there at the cross. They were not at the cross, but they were there when he went to the cross and into the tomb, and then when he ascended back to heaven. And in the first chapter of Acts, as Jesus ascends to heaven, his disciples are looking on, and Jesus gives them instructions. And those instructions are simply wait for the promise of the Father, Holy Spirit, that he talked about in John 14 through 16. And yet what we find is just a few verses, and I don't mean like few moments, but a few verses after this instruction is given to the disciples, we find the Apostle Peter, the very bold Apostle Peter who loved and was devoted to Christ. He stands up amongst, amongst a group of people and says, hey, we're down one Apostle. Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, went and took his own life. And Peter wanting to stand up to say we need to fill this and i believe prayerfully he tried and, and even used scripture and he says we we need and you can see what the tail end of this verse is one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection and so they prayerfully choose between two men and a man named matthias is chosen to be the 12th apostle but but can i ask you a quick question who chose the first 12 who chose the first 12 apostles jesus who do you think should choose the next apostle? You see, the, the interesting thing is, I'm not trying to criticize Peter in any, he had a heart of gold. But nowhere do we find the apostle Peter being instructed to choose a new apostle. But how can Jesus choose an apostle? He's not here, he's back in heaven. He can't call from heaven someone, can he? Oh, Actually, that's what we find in Acts chapter 9. As a man named Saul is on his way to persecute Christians and he gets a light from heaven and a voice that says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. 
He gives him some instructions, and then the Lord tells a man named Ananias, I'm sending someone to you. Go to him, for he is a, this is speaking of Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. So we see this so clearly that Paul becomes that new apostle, and he says it in almost every one of his letters. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says it over and over and it's crucial to understand so that we understand it is god's responsibility to into spirit in his church i say that because of this there are some places where you will spend time and it's a parent talking a child into going into full-time service sometimes it's a wife wanting her husband and sometimes it's a church trying to push Someone into a position of leadership that God has not called them into. I was a 15-year-old boy at camp, sitting in the same, listening to the same songs as everybody in the, in, in the, in the camp sanctuary. We all heard the same message, but oh, I promise you this, God very clearly spoke to me and said, I want you to serve me with your life. I was 15 years old. And I don't call myself an apostle because apostles are those who were taught directly by Jesus, but, but helps us understand something the, the apostle Peter said. Peter was an apostle, but he called himself an elder. He's, he's a church leader. And I, I believe this call is vital for those who are going to serve the Lord in church leadership because the common imagery throughout the New Testament Describing the church. Does anybody know what's often used to describe the church in the New Testament? The flock of God. Most pictures that you see of sheep and shepherds are beautiful. Oh, they're lovely. It's a picturesque scene. But if you read, if you really read about what shepherds do, it's dirty and it's difficult. In fact, Paul will even mention that in Acts 20 when he's talking to those, he called those elders, remember? And this is what he says to them. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, meaning from your, among your own church, will arise men speaking twisted things. It's going to be a dirty, difficult position to lead the flock of God because sheep require a shepherd. Because sheep cannot survive on their own. Sheep have no defense system against an attacking enemy. They're very prone to disease. They must be led to growing grass and still water. And shepherds, though, they don't ever get a thank from the sheep because all they can do is go, bah. When it comes to the shepherd of God's flock, though, we begin to see something different, that it's not about the love for the sheep alone or even primarily because i want you to listen to what the apostle peter says in chapter 5 verse 1 so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising Oversight. You notice that the elder, the shepherd, and the overseer again? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when I read that, I just think Peter's got this heart to, to the elders to say, please lovingly lead the flock. But then he says, why? And when the chief shepherd, meaning every elder, every shepherd, every overseer is an underling, every shepherd, every pastor that stands, regardless of whether it's thousands and thousands he's going to speak to today, he's not a true shepherd. He's an under-shepherd. And Lisa, you and your mom visited a church in Alaska where she said there were just three short rows of of folding chairs. And it doesn't matter how small the church is and how intimate the church is. It is an under-shepherd. One who serves the flock ultimately because of the chief shepherd. Huh. That shepherd is why I am your shepherd. Because he called. And I just followed and if he would have called me to another church, I would have followed him to that church because I didn't come here. Forgive me for saying this, and I don't mean this to be unkind. I didn't come here for you. I came here for him. But you were the blessing that I received because of following him. But there's a call to the leaders of church. But there's also a commitment. Because the call... It could be leaving something behind valuable like a location. And our family moved from Chicago to Virginia. But there's also a vocation that can sometimes be left behind. Pastor Frank Painter of Antioch, and please be in prayer for their church, but Pastor Painter uh, went to heaven this week. But, but I got to sit with some of his family and hear he, 39 years ago, stepped away from being a sheet metal worker to, to plant a church because the Lord called him to pastor. How cool is that? It was a call. And it was a commitment. You have a location, a vocation, sometimes traditions have to be left behind see elders must be committed to following jesus even when it gets hard and we've talked about the apostle peter so i'll stay with him and in acts chapter number 11 peter has this strange crazy vision there's a sheet that gets lowered down and i'm, I'm not going to read it but it's behind me but it's got all kinds of weird animals on there animals that the jews considered unclean and all of a sudden, this voice tells Peter, rise and eat those animals. And, and, and here's what Peter said. Whoa, no way. I no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or un unclean has ever entered my mouth. Do you imagine that? Peter has said no to this for his entire life. And all of a sudden, there, are, there is a voice from heaven that says, do something you've never done before. And he's like, but then the Lord says, that, that final highlight what God has made clean do not call uncommon this this vision is, happens three times to Peter and on the third time there's a knock at his door he's just had the same vision three times eat no don't call don't call something unclean that I've made clean eat no don't call something unclean that I've made clean he goes to the door and there's three men who say please come with us and they go and they take peter and peter is going to be given this vision by god for one specific reason 
Because God, it was God's way of showing Peter that people who were considered unclean by the Jews, he would be washing and making them clean. And the Jew and the Gentile would be entering into the same spiritual family of God, which was absolutely crazy for Peter. In fact, the reason Peter tells this vision in Acts chapter 11, let me show you why he even tells it. Because there were people who criticized him for going to the Gentiles. And he's like, but yeah, I got to tell you why. I had this vision from God. And I, I share all that with you because I believe Peter was called by God to lead the Jews to accepting the Gentiles who were unclean. And it was going to be strange. And God needed a man who was called and committed regardless of what Christ asked him to do. It wasn't laying down his life, but it was laying down his way of life to follow God's way. But then the, the last thing I want to share with you is the company. You have the call, and you have the commitment, and then you have the company. Because there's something else unique about this position of elder in the Bible, and it's this, you never find an elder serving alone. It kind of makes sense, because remember, there's, there's three positions and three responsibilities. An elder leads, a, a shepherd comforts and teaches, and an overseer oversees to make sure things are done right. And, and that pattern's all over the New Testament, where there's groups of people serving. Jesus didn't serve alone. The disciples didn't serve alone. Paul didn't serve alone. Peter didn't minister alone. They all served with someone. And in the New Testament, you always find a plurality of elders, which to me was interesting, because... That's not what I'd know. This, be, this really stuck out to me when I was asked to teach a college class through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It's called the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing to Timothy and Titus, who are protégés of his. And, and, and as I was studying, I kept coming across elders. Never a singular reference to an elder, but elders, meaning there was only one leader of the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only singular leader of the church and he's the head and yet in almost every church setting i was familiar with me now i'm not saying every church I'm saying the church i was familiar with it was a singular pastor who was leading yes there were associates an associate pastor for 11 years but i never considered myself the same as the senior pastor and no doubt the whole church felt the same way. He was the one that we looked to for vision, activities, and mission, and was often the final authority. And he had deacons who helped make decisions on behalf of the congregation, but, but the pastor, for the most part, was held in high esteem, and to be honest with you, in many cases, with no accountability. There are pastors in some churches who, if people on their staff disagree with them, they just fire them, find out someone else. And so, like... This, this understanding of plural leadership, elders, was, was really kind of strange to me because I, it started to make sense because I had seen how churches went through moral collapses or financial collapses and sometimes power grabs. And, and I could tell you, I personally can tell you a pastor sitting in jail right now because I could tell you of families who are left without a husband because the pastor just all the pressure and he took his own life. They tell you of churches that are bankrupt in communities where the name of Jesus Christ is not wanted because of, because of struggles. 
with power, authority, responsibility, and accountability in the church. So I just, I want to bring that down to you to an application. So how do these principles that we've gone over for three weeks apply to our own Mount Carmel congregation? Like right now, we have three pastors and we have nine deacons. And these deacons, man, they're some amazing men. And, and I, I know many of the men that have served as deacons even in prior years, and there's so many. Like, Ann, I wish I would have known your husband. Oh. Peggy, I wish I would have known your husband. And I've gotten to know some of these men that, that serve the Lord so faithfully here at the church. But the more I've prayerfully studied and approached the Word of God, I, I really feel like it's possible. Possible. That our church may be asking these men to serve in dual roles as deacons and elders. You see, not only do they serve the needs of the church as deacons, but they also help oversee the church by meeting monthly to care for church business. They're elders, they help decide the direction of the church, and they're shepherds, they help guard the church from, from dangers and lead others to comfort. No one, no one has complained to me, I, I want to make that very clear, but, but I want you to think as a church, if, if we're asking our deacons to serve and to lead and to oversee and to shepherd, one of two things might happen. Either they may not be able to provide all of the focus and labor necessary in one or some of these areas, and so the church doesn't receive the attention it needs, or they will put the focus and labor in that is necessary in all those areas, often wearying themselves and their families while they're doing it. I just think if anybody could have pulled off caring for the practical and the spiritual needs of the church, it would have been the apostles. But you remember when we looked at Acts 6, the apostles said, we're not going to stop our ministry of the word and prayer. We're going to find and choose some others to take this area of responsibility. Remember when I first came to Mount Carmel, the very first deacons meeting I attended, I had never led a deacons meeting before. I've never a senior pastor before, right? So we, we met in the cafeteria at 4.30, and Grand Staff was a, was a deacon chairman the year before, and he had had to rotate off, but I asked if he would come and lead the meeting because I really didn't know, and I watched nine godly men care for the needs of, of this church, and it was, it was wonderful. But, but about 6.30, I had to excuse myself because we had our, our, our evening service going on, and um, the, we weren't near through the agenda, so the agenda, the, the meeting kept going. I slipped out, came up here to lead the service, and uh, month after month, the same routine would happen. We'd start at 4.30. I'd have to leave a little bit before 6.30 to get up here to the evening service. We weren't near done, and the deacons would continue to meet and care for things. And, you know, as the, as the months went on, I, I began to grow more and more comfortable with the men as I grew to know them, and, and we developed relationships. But, man, my heart grew weary because it just seemed like our focus was on finances and, and, and updates and, and reviews and, and committee proposals. And, and I, I don't want you to think that those things weren't important. They're, they're very important. Please understand that. But I wanted to talk about the spiritual needs of our church. That's what my heart was like. This church was without a pastor for like almost 18 months. What, what are the needs? What are the spiritual needs of our family? What's next 
for this church. And, and yet, and please, please understand me, we, we, were, we were so consumed in those, those meetings with doing what was right for the church, and yet we, we really took so much time focused on the business needs of the church, we rarely got to the spiritual needs. And so after a while, we, we talked about it and said, we need to put those spiritual needs at the front of the church, at the front of the meeting, but, but we don't have a lot of time for it. Otherwise, we're never going to get the answers to all these people who are asking questions. And so... We kept doing our deacons meetings like normal. And boy, something just, I, I needed some spiritual help. If I, I asked 10 men to meet me, 10 men that I, I felt were, were great voices and representatives of the church. And we met together and we went to one of their homes and, and we ate together. We prayed together. We talked together. We spent three hours together, not on any proposal, not on any committee, anything. And we just talked about the spiritual needs, direction, and future of the church. And I walked out of that meeting like, that's what, I, that's what I've been needing. Six weeks later, we met again, same place, and we, we did some follow-up. And, and again, my heart was so excited, like, yes, we're still. But I left convicted. I left convicted because those 10 men, I had chosen those 10. The church hadn't. I thought, I that's not right of me to just handpick someone. I didn't want to leave the impression that I was choosing people who would support the pastor's agenda because they had nothing at all to do with it. Those were 10 incredible men, and yet it unsettled me. And so I came back and spent some deep time studying the Word of God and other church leadership books, but primarily the Word of God saying, Lord, what I need this spiritual help. We're so focused on these business needs. And that's when this understanding of elders, spiritual leaders, and deacons, spiritual leaders, but with different focuses, came right back into view. We've done a much better job in our deacons meeting. I want you to understand that, but our deacons are limited. They're limited men. God's not limited, though. This church isn't limited in any way. Our deacons have full-time jobs and busy schedules, families who need their devotions, and, and I, I believe we as a church need to be careful not to ask them to try to carry these dual roles as deacons and, and elders, something the apostles didn't even choose to take care of, them, didn't even try to carry on themselves. And so after I met with those 10 men for the first time, I, I approached our deacons about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, for the first time about elder leadership in our church having two groups of spiritual men lead our church. One group primarily serving as elders, caring for the spiritual needs of the body of Christ. Another group serving as deacons, primarily caring for the practical needs of the body of Christ. We discussed it, but we just talked about it a little. And five months ago, I sat down with our current deacons and explained to them much of what we've talked about over the last three weeks. Church leadership, deacons, and elders. We talked about it for three months together. And then we unanimously agreed that we would present the idea to the church of considering elder leadership. And since then, I've discussed this idea with other men to hear their thoughts. I've discussed questions. I've received some questions and received primarily positive feedback. And in the weeks to come, I just would love to discuss with you as a congregation on whether this would be something that would be beneficial to our church. 
I think it would be beneficial to, for the church to have a group of men called by God to prayerfully seek the Lord for the ongoing spiritual mission of the church, aided by a group of spiritual men that answer the needs of the congregation who prayerfully lead the church body in serving and caring for the needs of one another. I think that, but that, I'm just one guy. I don't have an agenda. I promise you, I believe this will be a positive blessing for the church, but I don't want it to be a bad thing for the church. I believe elders can, practice, can serve practically aware but focused on spiritual care. Deacons, spiritually aware, focused on practical care, while both faithfully lead, both faithfully lead the body of Christ by offering opportunities for growth and service, to which the church responds with joy. Elders who minister through the word to protect the doctrine. De deacons who minister through deeds to protect unity. But both investing love and time to care for the flock of God through the flock of God. Elders who oversee the body to follow the leading of Jesus. Deacons who meet arising needs to free the body to follow Jesus. Both laboring together to keep the church on mission. And all of us to be able to serve Jesus, the head of the church as he leads because jesus is the true head of the church we don't get our eyes on men at all we keep our eyes on jesus and i don't want you to respond to anything i've said because of what i've said this isn't about paul or apollos it's all about it's all about jesus so i'm gonna i'm gonna close by asking you if i could just read one more portion of scripture because do you remember how we started at the beginning a church wrongly responding about their favorite church leaders? I want to end with a different passage. I'm not going to ask you to turn there unless you want to. But it will give us a glimpse of what takes place when believers grasp their role individually and corporately in the church. In Ephesians chapter number 4, the Bible says this, He, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice these next, this next passage. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Do you see the comparison between the, the child that Paul seemed to talk about in 1 Corinthians 3 to the mature man now of Ephesians 4? And, and here's why. From whom the whole body, rather, oh, I'm sorry, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's all about growth. And if, if this idea doesn't help us grow, then forget it. If this idea helps us grow, then, then yes. So I just to grow in spiritual maturity. For every one of us, the book of Ephesians is talking to us to grow in Christ. 
and to serve the body of Christ because we've, we've spent some time talking about leadership, but, but remember what Jesus said, who's the greatest? The servant. It's not about who leads. Ultimately, it's about who serves. Prayerfully search the scriptures. So, so I'm going to do, do, do two things just to make it real, real simple because I, I have no agenda. But I, I have a paper that I'm going to put under the TVs uh, or on the, on the tables in the lobby. And they're the papers that I shared with the deacons that we walked through in our meetings together to give you an opportunity to, over, to look over them, see if you agree with them. Prayerfully search the scriptures on whether this is a right thing. And then two, for the next couple weeks, I'm just going to sit in here in the auditorium during the, during the life groups. And if you have a question, ask me. We're not trying to change from congregational rule. That, that's not going to change. Just it would really be a, a bit of a function behind the scenes on who the, who the leaders of the church are spiritually. Finally, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the ultimate leader and the ultimate head. Leaders in the church are meant to help us all serve the king. That's what it's all about. How can we as a church best serve Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, I, I go back sometimes to that time when I was 15 years old and you, you called me. Lord, I, I have one desire with my life and it has nothing to do with leading a church. And my one desire in life is to serve you faithfully, Wherever, however, whatever, I don't care. Lord, I don't need to be a pastor. I just want to be your servant. It's what you've called me to do at this moment, and Lord, it's, it's, it gives me great joy. But ultimately, I'll do anything you ask. Father, we as your body want to serve you the head, rightly. So would you give us wisdom? Wisdom to search the scriptures. Wisdom to be open to the Holy Spirit of God. Wisdom to know what you desire as the future of this, this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would bring unity so that we can grow as a body to display the love that you've shown to us, to those within the church, to those without the church, so that those without the church would want to come within the church. All for your glory. God, I don't, I don't know how to do things right. You know that. I'm so, I'm so incapable. But you can do everything. So we ask that you would just please lead and guide, that you would give understanding and direction. Lord, that you would encourage our church family to continue to grow more and more into the person, into the image, and into the body of our Jesus. We love you. Thank you for caring for us in such a way.